We're going to continue with our series. We're going to finish it up today. We're going to finish up this series, Weakness into Strength. And uh, we're going to explain, I think I said at the beginning, I'm going to explain why this slide is what it is with this, with this mountain here. It's not the most glamorous looking mountain, right? Like you've seen pictures of more amazing mountains. But this mountain is special to this group because we have two people here named after this mountain. Any guesses? You guys. This is Mount Tabor. Yes. This is not Mount Weatherston. That is for sure. This is Mount Tabor. And it's a, uh, it takes, lots of things takes place here in the Old Testament. And um, we're going to look at one very famous battle that took place at this mountain. But we're not looking at the battle, we're looking at the, the man, who if you remember what we did at the beginning, we, we read in Hebrews uh, the scripture about, um, I don't have time to talk about Samson and Gideon and Barak and Jephthah, David and Samuel and all the prophets. And he lists all these crazy things they did. And then it says they turned their weakness into strength. Yeah. And so we're, today we're going to look at Barak. And so some people will pronounce it Barak. You're allowed to do that. <laughs> here's a, here's a, a very good tip I got as a young Christian you know, in like a Bible class. When you read the Old Testament, you do not have to stress about whether you're pronouncing the, like, the names right. You're not pronouncing any of them right. <laughs> You're not pronouncing anything right because we don't speak ancient Hebrew and ancient Greek. So just, just fumble through it. Everybody will be fine. No one cares. If I ever ask you to do a scripture reading and it has like tons of names of cities and, and people, just like, I don't care how you pronounce it. You're not great at it. <laughs> but we're going to look at Barak. Now, there have been times where, and you may remember I did a lesson on Barak at the park in 2020. Um, but I, I, did a I did a lesson like this in Detroit, and I was like, oh, I'm going to be talking about Barack. And the guy that I told that to, he had some Bible knowledge. He was a, he was a, a, he's a smart guy. And he was like, oh, the coward? And I was like, oh, it pains me that you said that. <laughs> because if you, the more you read about Barack and the story that we're going to look at with the Barack and Deborah, he has a reputation of being faithless or a coward. But my hope today is to, is to show you a different side of that. I need to warn you, we're going to read an entire chapter of the Bible. Okay? We're going to read Judges 4. This is the story of Deborah and Barak. Now, I'm warning you now, and I'm, I'm, I'm literally prophesying. Some of you are going to get so bored and check out while I'm reading. If it happens, just know, like, oh, Ben told me this was going to happen. It's okay. It's, there's a lot here. There's four main characters we're going to look at. Barak and Deborah, and then Sisera and Jael. Okay? So the, when those names, Barak, Deborah, Sisera, Jael, those names are going to be the kind of the, the important ones. All the other names I'm going to say, it's okay if they go in one direction. But here we go, Judges 4. Again, starting at verse 1. 
Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harosheth, Pagoyim. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried out to the Lord for help. Now, sorry, Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent um, Barak, she sent for Barak son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree of Za'ananim near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Harosheth to the Kishon River all his men and his 900 Chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harosheth and Goyim. And all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened up a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone there? Say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him where he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died, as one usually does when a temple is driven. Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera, with the tent peg, through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. And the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. Guys, we just read an entire chapter of the Bible. Quiet time for the day. Check. We're good. All right. So Judges 4 is the story of Deborah and Barak. Now, if you go on, Judges 5 is a song 
written by Deborah and Barak about the exact same thing. We're not going to read that, but I'm going to reference some details that are in the song that aren't in what we just read, okay? And I want to go through, I want to, I want to retell you the story of Deborah and Barak. And I want us to develop an appreciation for who Barak was. Deborah's awesome. I could go on and on about Deborah. Deborah was awesome. Barack was also awesome. And I want you to think about uh, this whole idea of turning weakness into strength. There's some things that I'm going to compile at the end from all three of these last, these last sermons. And I, I guarantee if you were to put these things into practice, like spend the next year, like all the rest of 2022, and start off 2023 trying to put these things into practice, you would not be known by your faults or failures or, or weaknesses. You would be known as a, as a man or woman of great faith and great strength. And so my first point about Barak is this. He had a desperate need for God. There's a sentence that we read that has plagued the reputation of Barak for the last 5,000 years. Let's read that sentence. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. This one sentence that, that Barack said has, like, dogged him. He hasn't been able to shake the reputation that this one sentence has given him. If you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Let me just set the stage. The beginning of chapter uh, 4, it talks about Ehud. I don't know if you remember stories of Ehud. He was basically like this weird Israelite assassin who goes in and uh, murders a, a king. And then... After that, it says, right after that, that Israel lived in peace for 80 years after Ehud, during and after Ehud. And then right at the beginning of this chapter, it says that, that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and God gave them over to, to Jabin, and he ruled over them for, for 20 years. And so now we have this situation where for the last 100 years in Israel— They've never fought. They've never been to war. They've, they have no military experience. No man alive at, that, at this time has any experience fighting in battle. And in the song, Deborah even says they don't have any weapons. They got rid of all their weapons. And so at the beginning of this story, we see a bunch of farmers. And Deborah comes along and says, hey, Go get 10,000 men, and we're going to fight one of the most powerful armies around. And Barak says this. Now, you might think, well, that's faithless. If the prophet says, do it, do it. Yep, there's a lot of things that the Bible tells us to do, and we are like, I don't know if I can do that. Barak's mistake might not have been that he was faithless. Barak's mistake might have been a mistake of perspective. Because Deborah said, go. And Barak said, I need help. You have to remember, Deborah was the leader, the judge at the time. There are many instances where the king won't go into battle without the prophet. And so, so what we see here is Barak 
has a need for God that is so desperate that he, he is willing to look weak. Because he's like, well, I need God so much, and you, you're, the, you're the woman of God, like, I need you. The other interesting thing about this is if you, if you read the context, he doesn't, this, this doesn't come right before going to fight. This comes before going to recruit people. So Deborah says, go get 10,000 men. And he says, come with me. So some theologians think, well, he's not saying, if you go, I will go. He's saying, no one will believe me unless you come with me and tell them, too, that God is with us. So you come with me and say, hey, 10,000 people need to come and fight. And so Barak, if he made a mistake here, if he made a mistake, his mistake was that he saw God in Deborah, and he had a desperate need for God. Deborah said go, but Barak thought that God was with Deborah, not him. And so maybe he made an error, but here's where I want us to, to pay very close attention. If he made a mistake here, he erred on the side of this relationship. But we do the opposite of this. As soon as we get a little vision of something, a little taste, or an idea that God wants us to do something, we immediately are like, sweet, I got this. Yeah. Most of us are not like Barack in this. We get a little glimpse of a, of a vision, and then we're like, sweet, I can figure that out on my own. I've talked to people over the years, single men and women, who have a vision for, I want to be married someday. Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> but then they're like, I'll figure it out all on my own. I'm like, ooh, I would rather you make a mistake because you want help and you want advice in your life than to make the mistake on the opposite end of the spectrum and, and go on just individualistically. Because it's the relationships in our life that actually like grow our character. Sometimes, you know, we've studied the Bible with people, and we're like, hey, this is what, this is the biblical like picture of lordship and discipleship in Christianity. And they're like, sweet, thanks. Thanks for like teaching me this. I'll figure it out. It's like, oh, that's actually not the plan. The plan is that we do this all together. Nah, I'm good. Thanks. Or do we say on the other side, there is no way I could ever do this on my own. I see what it means to be a disciple. This would be impossible if I had to figure this all out on myself. Yeah. I need help. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, or, what about evangelism? <laughs> if someone were to come up to me and be like, bro, like, I want to I bring visitors. I want to share my faith. I want to be more evangelistic, but I'm scared. That would be like a Barack statement. Would, do you think you're going to get rebuked for saying that? I would remind you maybe like how awesome you are and how awesome the Holy Spirit is, and then we can all do this together. But sadly, what I find most of the time is that people don't err on the side of relationships. They err on the side of, well, I don't like it, so I'm not going to do it. 
Barak had a desperate need for God. He, he clearly saw what was required, asked of him, and he's like, okay, time out. This is impossible. I need God. I need you. I need help. Because I, this is impossible. And that humility is amazing. That desperate need for God was so amazing that, yeah, what's the downside? There's some people that read this story at first glance and they're like, this guy's a coward. But do, do you make the opposite mistake and proceed on your own strength? I think Barack is awesome. And we're going to look more into that at the end. But I got I to gotta do one more thing. The fine print. This is point two. <laughs> the fine print is the very next statement. So Barack says, if you go with me, I'll go. If you don't go with me, I'm not going. And what does Deborah say? Certainly I'll go. She doesn't say, she doesn't call him out as faithless. She doesn't say, well, that's stupid. She says, Certainly, I will go. This is a, a sentence that comes right after that. Certainly, I will go with you, said Deborah. But here's another weird sentence. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Now, I have heard this read in sermons, in devotionals, in different things. I have heard this read by people. And sometimes, I'm just going to be honest, sometimes there's a little, a little thing added. Yeah. A little tone. Yeah. A little... <laughs> right? Have you ever heard it? Yes. <laughs> because of the course you're taking, you're not going to get the book. <laughs> it's like a pettiness that we put onto Deborah. As if she is like tisk-tisking him for what he just said. And I just need to ask us, like, why do we do that? Why do we read this, like, negativity into God's prophet? Why do we make her so petty sometimes? So what's weird is, in the NIV, this word, because here, the NIV is one of the only English translations that puts it like that. It's like a conditional statement. Because, and we read it this way, because you just said that. You're not going to get the glory. As if God, <laughs> as if God was totally ready to give Barack all the praise and glory, but, sorry, you said that really dumb sentence. You shouldn't have said it. So now, change of plans, everyone. Get JL in here. Sister is going to do this. We're going to do this. Because Barack said this thing. And that's how we read it. In this translation, but because of the course you're taking, the honor will not be yours. All I want to say is, when I read this, and we're going to look at another English translation that words it just a little bit differently. To me, this isn't a punishment. This isn't a slap on the wrist. This is the fine print of the contract that Barack is engaging in right now. She says, Barack, get 10,000 men. We're going to go fight Sisera. And he goes, I need help with this. And she said, okay, one more thing. You're not going to get any praise for this. This is the fine print of the contract. I just need you to know, before we go down this road, you're not going to get any glory, 
You're not going to be lifted up as the most amazing military leader. You're not going to get any praise or honor for this. In fact, there's this woman. She's going to get the honor for it. Here's what I wanted to look at, just if you want to contrast versions. This is the Holman. Deborah says, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor on the road you are about to take. It's just like, hey, one last thing before we go. I just need you to know, you can't be in this for the glory. And what did Barak do? He's like, fine, let's do it. Most other translations give us the impression that Barak was never going to get the glory or the honor from this battle. It was God's plan all along to deliver Sisera into the hands of Jael in the tent with the tent peg in his head. But Deborah wants to make sure that Barak knows what he's getting into. There was no withholding of commitment from Deborah to Barak. And there was no withholding of obedience from Barak to God's plan. So why do we read this with that tone? Why do we put this pettiness? What I have found is that when we make Deborah into this like tisk tisk character, when we turn Barak into this coward, and both both man and woman of God are like reduced. But I'm just telling you, there's a way to read the story where you elevate. Barak and Deborah to powerful, faithful, spiritual men and women of God. And that's what I want someone to remember us like someday. Will you still obey knowing that you won't get anything out of this? And Barak's like, let's do it. And so that's my question for us. Do you serve for your glory or the glory of God? There are so many times, guys, when if someone gave us the fine print up front, we might be like, oh, well, then why are you doing this? Like, hey, I would love it if you would come and help a brother move. <laughs> we had a great moving party yesterday at the Wilsons. Yeah. Only a few, like... Torn ligaments and. <laughs> but if someone told you up front, hey, I need your help moving, you're like, oh, yeah, bro. Like, I, I have no water or pizza or no cake in the shape of a house. I, it's just going to be you and me. No one's going to see you. No one's going to tell you how awesome you are. You're just going to come over and, and like, work like a dog for like, three hours and then, and then I'll, like, you know, give you a high five. You'll be like, that sounds horrible. Like, what am I going to get out of it? And that's a silly example. But I have seen this over and over again. There's a story I've told several times about a brother when we were uh, baby Christians. And he was a little older in the faith than us. And we, we all thought he was like super spiritual. But man, he would come to church and hound the evangelist. Like, hey, when do I get to speak? When do I get to preach? When do I get my time up in the spotlight? And the, the preacher was like, dude, your heart is wicked. Stop it. And the crazy thing is, you know, he actually uh, left and started his own church. 
I, I, we're still friends on Facebook, and I see his, I see his service. I'm like, you're going for it, man. But that's he, he needed, he needed that in the fine print. You're gonna get your time up in the spot. And when he understood the fine print, he was like, no. Something as simple as like coming to church to get your needs met. I have seen that be turned into something that is very unhealthy. I am not coming to church to look for needs that I can meet. I am coming to church to get my needs met. And when that stops happening, peace. I'm out of it. I've seen it in relationships. Guys, men and women who are married. <laughs> Some of us have been married a long time. If you're still trying to figure out, like, well, when am I going to get what I deserve out of this relationship? I would just encourage you to get some help because that's, that's not what marriage is about. You all, a lot of you have jobs. You go, I've said this many times, you go to job, you go to your work, you put in your hours. And then, at a certain date, you expect your boss to direct deposit some money into your bank account. And there's some, we can over-spiritualize work and be like, no, I just want to serve as if working for the Lord. <laughs> Go to your boss and say, hey, I just want to be a great servant. You're like, oh, thank you. Does that mean we don't have to pay you anymore? <laughs> if you stop getting a paycheck and you're like, hey, where's my paycheck? They're like, you said you wanted to be a servant. So we stop paying. You're like, no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> Like, where, where's my money, man? We, we are in a transaction here. I give you a certain number of hours a week, and you give me dollars. But do we bring that transactional relationship into the church? What am I going to get? We cannot have transactional relationships in the kingdom of God. Now, does that mean that... You feel like, well, I could get taken advantage of. Yeah. That's a risk, for sure. And that's why we need to have such strong, loving, trusting relationships where we can talk to one another. So now I want to tell you the story. Well, i got a few more minutes. I want to tell you the story of the battle that took place at Mount Tabor. So this is Mount Tabor. It's such a weird hill. It's like all this flat river valley and then just like, boop. This mound? Yeah. <laughs> That's what it should be called, mound table. <laughs> like a dollop of a, of a hill on, on this side. So here's what happened. Deborah says, take 10,000 men and go up on the top of this mountain. There is nowhere to hide. <laughs> You're just going to be standing up there for show. And then we're going to bring... Sisera and all of his men. Now the river valley right below here, this is the, the, uh, the Kishon River, it's most of the time it's swampy. It's wet, it's marshy, it's swampy. But in the summer, it dries out, like completely dries out. Now we have a clue. Oh no, we're not going to do that yet. We have a clue of what might have happened. Because if you, if you remember early on, it said that Sisera had 
all of his men, and 900 iron chariots. Now, these iron chariots were not like the little, like, Ben-Hur chariot, like the little thing with a guy and the horse. This is like the size of your car, maybe. And there would be, like, a team of horses driving this thing. And it would be usually like four guys. So a driver, two archers, and then like a guy with a, a shield behind, from behind, uh, keeping people safe with a spear maybe. And so you've got, you've got 900, 900 chariots with about four guys each and a ton of horses. These were like the tanks or like the Abrams vehicles of, of, their, of their time. And so if I'm Cicero and I see like 10,000 guys, not only did it say I have my 900 chariots, it said I had all, Cicero had all his men. So like, whatever man, all the people at his disposal, he comes up to 10,000 guys. Now imagine if we had a, a small little group, like I live in Granville. Like imagine if the, the population of Granville was like, hey, we're going to take on the U.S. Army. <laughs> I think most people would think, well, you're dead. Because <laughs> you are not warriors and you're ill-equipped. And so the fact that 900 iron chariots, like huge vehicles, were going to come up this valley usually means it was probably summer, it was dry, they could like navigate over that terrain. Right. And so what we have is uh, Barak and 10,000 guys sit, sitting up, just perched up on top. And then you've got this huge army down below. And Barak decides, let's charge them. We're just going to run down this mountain straight at them. <laughs> it's a great plan, right? <laughs> well, what it says in the book, in the chapter is, that at Barak's advance, like when Barak decided to go, God took care of it all. And we don't know why, but a clue is in the song. In the Song of Deborah, it says this. From the heavens, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river. And so what historians think probably happened is Sisera, it's, it's dry, it's desert, it's, it's drought. They, they come right into this river valley, and they think, there's no water here, so we can bring our chariots right up here. And then Barak starts running down the mountain like a madman at them. And out of nowhere, the heavens opened up and the river like came to life. So some people think maybe it was like a flash flood. But what we do know is that it says in verse in chapter four that their chariots kind of became useless because they all had to get down out of their chariots and flee on foot. And so Barak's plan was nothing. It's kind of like we, we looked at Gideon's plan. It wasn't this magical, amazing battle plan. It was just like, here's, I just have to obey. I just have to do what God told me to do. Yeah. And then God will fight the battle. And so can you imagine being on top of this mountain with 10,000 men and deciding, hey, let's just go, let's go charge all those people, all those soldiers. I could never do that. And yet, we can sit back and be like, oh, Barak was a coward. Barak was a coward. Barak was one of the bravest men in the Bible. 
Barak isn't faithless. He's one of the most faithful men in the Bible because he obeyed. He did what God told him to do. He is more faithful, more brave, than perhaps you and I will ever be. And then this is what it says in Hebrews 11. This is what started our whole series. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and routed foreign armies. All these highlighted ones, those are all things that Barak did in the story we just read. Yeah. Of this whole list, the only thing that Barak didn't do was the lions and the fire. But Barak could easily have said, no, I'm not going to do it. He said, I'll do it if you come with me. And he never wavered in his obedience. And he did it without any promise of glory. He was actually told up front, you're not going to get anything out of this. He's like, let's go. Let's do it. That is not a weak, faithless man to me. And so I just need us to remember that our life can be remembered as faithful too. Some of us, we're, we're not making the mistakes that Samson, Gideon, and Barak made. And I, I say that purposefully. These were normal, these were not spiritual powerhouses. These were, these were fallen, frail, weak men. And yet, we see through their stories that they were able to turn their weakness into these amazing acts that God was able to do through them. And we, we need to learn from that. And so, even with all your mistakes, you can still be remembered as someone who is very faithful. If this is your first time with us, visiting or hanging out with us, I, I desperately need you to know none of us are really awesome people. We're, we're pretty average Christians. None of us are like floating off the ground, levitating, not affected by sin. And if you're a disciple, I need you to know you're not that awesome, too. None of you are floating off the ground unaffected by sin. You're real people. We have real ups and downs. But I wouldn't mind it if our next mistake, because you're going to make another mistake. Maybe today. Maybe before lunch. But man, I wouldn't mind it if our next mistake showed everyone how desperate we are. Rather than our next mistake shows how independent mm. and prideful we are. Right. Come on, ben. I would hope that our next mistake shows that we can obey despite getting any praise and glory. Rather than our next mistake showing that I only serve if I get all the praise and glory. Man, Barack worded that and Deborah worded those sentences in such a weird way that, man, we have judged them for millennia. But our life can be remembered as one of great faith. And here's, here's just a quick rundown of some of the lessons from the last three Sundays. As we learned from Samson, 
God has given you gifts. You all have strengths, talents. And sometimes we can decide, oh, I own those. Those are mine. I don't actually need God for those things. And I want us to be like Samson at the end when he prayed again for God to give him the strength. Oh, that's a misspelling, but <laughs> imagine what God is doing behind the scenes. This is from Gideon. When Gideon had no idea like what God was doing to the army down in the valley, and God was like, I, want to, I just want to give you a glimpse of what I'm doing that you know nothing about. And like Barak, I want us to develop a desperate need for God. Yeah. A desperate, like a humble, like I'm willing to look like a fool if it shows how much I need God. Rather than posturing and looking like I have all the answers. I, I pray that we can learn how to desire obedience just for the sake of obedience, not because we're going to get something out of it. And then finally, back to Samson, the way, where we started all this. We're going to need to get good at listening to each other. Remember that's how we started the story of Samson? Like Samson went through some stuff. And so I want each of us to turn our weaknesses into strengths. But when, when I try to turn my weakness into strength, I want someone who will be like, I see what you're doing. I'm here for you. And when you try to turn your weaknesses into strength, I promise that I will be here and be like, I see what you're doing. I'm here for you. And if you could spend like the next few months trying to focus on some of these practicals and trying just to remember them and repeat them and talk about them with other people, I promise you're never going to be defined by the worst last thing you did. You're never going to be refined, defined by that dumb thing you said back in the day. We as a community will be here for you. And that's how we can turn weakness into strength. Amen? Hey, I'm going to uh, pray for our communion, and we're going to take communion, and then um, we'll continue. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for the idea that we can turn weakness into strength. God, I think about Jesus and how we know how strong he was and how amazing he was. And yet that didn't prevent him from being seen uh, in a lot of negative lights. And there's many times where his, his perspectives on things was, was taken as weakness. And we know that he was mocked. And we know that he was mistreated. God, I pray that we never think that we deserve more than Jesus. I pray that we can be humble enough to realize that if he is the Lord of our lives, we may lead a life that encounters some of the same things. And just like Barak sometimes gets a bad reputation, I pray that we are not concerned about that and that we can strive to focus on you more and more, despite what it looks like or the, the reputation. God, I pray that we can have just a, a gut-level desperate need for you. I so appreciate Jesus and his sacrifice, and I'm so grateful for what that allowed for us. And it's in his strength that we try to walk every day. We love you, and we pray all this in his name. Amen. 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 Amen.